I've been terrible, I know. You no, no. You, you can't. No. Don't touch me. What are you doing? You're Do you right. know that no one's You're ever right. hurt me as much I know. as you did? I'm so sorry that I left you the way that I did. Oh, David, you I'm know so... what? You left me in a fucking hospital. What are you doing? I know, it seems terrible, but there was a reason. You don't know anything about me and I'm... what makes me happy. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I... Hey, dickheads! Like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We are the elements today, and something may be different. Some things may be shifted around. It'll be for you to judge at the end of this episode. I'll tell you one thing that's different. I'm starting a magic hat club. Woo! (laughs) Magic hat joke right in the beginning. I have to get it out. All right. You may have guessed. If you didn't see the title already, we're doing the Adjustment Bureau slash team for this episode. So, who are we, everybody? Wait, you expect them to answer? No. (laughs) I expect you to answer. Anyways, I'm David Agronoff. I'm Anthony Trevino. I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. Also known as Larry. Or Langhang. Uh, We are your personal dickheads. So, today, this is going to be an interesting episode because... We have various unfavorable opinions on the story (laughs) slash movie, although I personally like the movie with some notes, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. Doesn't it seem kind of like Dave, David likes everything, Larry? For the most part, he always says, well, I thought this was all right. It does. But we, we eventually change his mind quite a bit. You changed my mind on Cosmic Puppets. So. Mm. Yeah, we're doing a good job. Yeah, you did change my mind on Cosmic Puppets. I took my... We'll teach him how to think things suck. Do you know what else I... you get as being a, uh honorable member of my Magic Hat Club? What's that? You would get your own talking dog. Ooh, yes. <laughs> we will be talking about Come on, about like you wouldn't like soon. to have a talking dog. I didn't say that. Okay, so do we have any updates on things? We're still not on iTunes. I searched yesterday... <laughs> That Apple's being very finicky about the dick in our title. Well, I so. thought we changed it. We don't even have a dick in our title anymore. I know, but they for, they turned us down once, and so I gotta, I, I'm working on it, folks. I swear to God. We've got a whole bunch of interviews and stuff coming up, but you can read about that on our social media. And by the time this episode airs, some of them may have already been recorded. But we're really excited about uh, the direction the podcast is taking. But one you can look forward to is Tim Powers. Um, we've locked down, and he used to live with Philip K. Dick for Correct. several years. Yep. He has a new book out, so we're going to a book signing of his here in San Diego and make that connection with him. So we're looking forward to that one quite a bit. On that note, let's talk about the adjustment team. And this Boo. is... A, yeah. So this is a very short... <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> This is a very short uh, PKD story. It's short. It's 20 pages, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, I, I read it all in one, like, I, I did, too, scoop, but, but... Yeah, I read it in, what, half an hour? Yeah, fast. it goes really fast. I read it in between looking at my brain by rolling my eyes every few pages. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, look, we're not 
gonna love everything Philip K. Dick did. This is gonna be the first where we none, none of us really like this story. So this story was first published in Orbit Science Fiction in September, the September October issue number four, nineteen fifty four. So it ideally was written either in nineteen fifty three or fifty four, but who knows? It could have been sitting around for a long time. Yeah, I feel like this is a very early story of his. Yeah. And because it reads, it reads a lot like a lot of my stories. <laughs> not, not good. Yeah, don't, don't be so hard on yourself, Larry. Um, so the story, um, was accused at the time of being derivative of Frederick Paul's Tunnel Under the World, which was like kind of a similar story about predestination and like unseen forces that were working to manipulate and move things so as far as i haven't read that story so i can't really say but uh, i found two references to that one on on wikipedia and one on um on a sci-fi i think fantastic fiction on that um that website i saw something about that so apparently people thought that at the time uh frederick paul was a very respected author and at the time he was already having success that Phil had not had. It's very obvious that that could have happened. But the story is very early, so who knows? Wow, this story has 3.7 out of 5 on Goodreads. Really? That's absurd. Is that the book, or is that a book with the story in it? I don't know, it just has it above the... Yeah, that's probably the thing. Yeah. You mean the collection? Yeah, it's probably a collection called Adjustment Team. Or a version of it. But yeah, so this this story is right off the bat. It, there's a talking dog. There's a fucking talking dog. And what the thing about the talking dog. Which only works in that one Vonnegut story. Right. Or, well, Boy and His Dog. Um, well, that's true. Well, he didn't actually talk. He was a psychic dog. And yeah. Boy and His Dog. Uh, that's the, for those following at home, that is a Harlan Ellison novella called Boy and His Dog. And that is a really great example where a dog is used in that way. But I was okay with it in Boy and His Dog because it was kind of a part of the story and made sense. Whereas here, the talking dog is just kind of random at the beginning. And I don't, there's not really any payoff for the fact that the dog's talking. Well, most of, most of the elements in this book are sort of random and don't make sense. Yeah. Or in this story. Perhaps the story was the, adjusted. The only thing, <laughs> the only thing I would say that the dog adds is sort of a bookend to understand when the adjustment team is going to do something. Yeah, because so he at barks the end we they, hear yeah. the bark and know yeah. that it's the adjustment team. And then what's his face here sits down and goes, "Hi, ah, I just guess they, I knew they'd take care of me." Well, but the dog could have could have barked and still warned people without murmuring and saying things like what was the first thing the dog said well it might have been the second thing the dog said because i think i might have just thought i was reading it wrong the first time <laughs> you were confused about whether i was, or not confu- there was a talking dog right and then on the second page of the story it says there they are the dog murmured the man you say he's not going to be harmed is he so, well he's a caring dog he doesn't want the man to be harmed but he murmured there, and then I was like, oh, shit. And I remember I highlighted it because I was like, the dog was murmuring, which was interesting. Right. And I've never heard a dog curmudgeon. murmur. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a dog's life. So, um, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, that that's kind of one of the first things that kind of happens in the story. And, and I have to admit, I had read the story before, but I wasn't paying like a ton of attention to it because I wasn't doing a podcast the first time I read the story. Um, and the thing about it is, is that I read the story before I saw the movie, right? Because I had, I already had this book sure. and I knew that the movie was coming. So I reread the story. And so I think when I saw the movie in the theater, when it came out, which I did because it was a PKD story, I was surprised that it was very different, right, from the story. But I was pleasantly surprised, but we'll get into that later. I thought in in many ways it was a better story. Oh, yeah, it was a much better story in the movie. Yeah, some things that are, are kind of different right off the bat is, well, let, well, let's just focus on the story and pretend the movie didn't exist for this part of it. I well, know. Then woof, woof, David, read us forward. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that there is, um, very specific, like, things in here with the actual numbers of the sectors. And, uh, one of the first things that I noticed was that they called the humans elements. Like they were elements in their, in their narrative. Right. Basically. And so that was the first thing that I noticed is I just kept thinking though, like I thought a lot about the term elements and how that applied mm-hmm. to, to the story. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it kind of puts forward this idea that we're just kind of elements in this larger game, which is something that is an interesting idea that's really not explored very deeply, but no. And I think. The movie maybe does that a little better, but at the same time, like, I, I, I definitely think the story lacks from not examining that very interesting thing about it is this, this idea that we're just elements. Well, it, that's, that's the problem with the whole story is that all these, all these things are vaguely introduced, but never explored. Nothing is explored. Well, this the story is a story of kind of interesting ideas. There's no in, real yeah, story here. This, it's an this, incomplete story. Yeah, really. I, I, I would say that this is kind of a half-finished story. The, I, I think Dick had an idea for the adjustment team and then set like a little mini conflict and then just kind of bookended it with, oh, and then Ed went home and they showed up and that was that. They were right. looking out for old Ed. Now, do you think that... Now, granted... Sorry, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Anthony. I mean, it's no better or worse to me than that hack, that, that bullshit love story in the movie. <laughs> but, sorry, David, go ahead. I can't wait to talk about love stories with you. Uh, the hater of love to my right. left. Um, so, well, I think that maybe. Excuse put- me for wanting more out of life than love. happiness. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so, <laughs> for me, one of the things that maybe was going on in this story is at the time he's a he's a young writer he hasn't at this point he hasn't published a novel yet uh solar lottery hasn't come out so we don't know how much strength as a narrative storyteller he has at this point but what we do know is that he's already written a fantastic story in second variety and started to get some attention for that but is he trying to write a story that even though it has these grand ideas, is he trying to keep it short and therefore not really expanding on some of the interesting ideas? Do you think that, do you guys think that if the story had been given more pages to explore those issues, it could have been 
a better story. Oh, yeah. Definitely. No, I think he could have used the space he had to make it a better story. It's 20 pages already. So you think there's enough length he just didn't pull, he didn't I just it. think it's a lot of forward momentum through a bunch of these things that happen that never get explained just so we could get to the big kind of expo- explanation the, at the The reveal end. of yeah, God the, or the something? Reveal of, I, yeah, the, the God figure, the old father time with the beard and the robe. Right. And then we just move the story on. Hey, we need you to comply with all this stuff because it's going to be better for your business. And that's another thing that I was wondering is, is are they just the adjustment bureau for that business's success? Because the whole, the whole thing where No, the whole thing was about world happiness. Is it world happiness though? I thought they were making it specific to him. No, well, it was specific to his workplace, this adjustment, but it, the whole goal was, uh, to bring about a, a scientific community that would help the world. Right, which is why he says the beneficiaries will be you, meaning a kind of a, a general you, the people, yeah. not just you. The individual. The individual. Okay. Yeah, and so there's some some imagery that goes on in the story that didn't... I'm going to get back to the grand themes of it again here in a little bit. I'm sorry to kind of jump around, but I just wanted to look at my notes. So there's a part where he... And this was in the movie, but but done differently. So in the story, he happens upon, was it his apartment? Or he, he comes into this room and they're, or maybe it was the office. They're adjusting the events. They've frozen everybody. And then they're basically, those versions of the people are dust, are fading away into particles of dust. Right. And it says, uh, the man slowly collapsed. He settled into a heap, a loose pile of gray ash, dust particles, two women dissolved when he touched them. So this entire version, this version of reality is basically melting away completely. And that's a little different from, from what we got in the movie. A little? Well, yeah, it's a lot different. Okay. Um, because in the movie, they're just, they're not changing things. But I think what's, what's interesting, because this gets into, PKD loves the themes of just slightly different universes where the person in the middle of the narrative is just a little bit off from our universe. And so what I thought was interesting about this is that that's a lot off, right? Right. The whole universe is being basically manipulated around them. And so the people are being reformed and basically turned into other versions of themselves. So this idea that, well, you're, while time is frozen by the adjustment team, that you become this entirely different elemental version of yourself is kind of a terrifying concept that doesn't get explored again. Right. <laughs> right. But you're telling me this, this is a constant ongoing, this is an ongoing thing in our world. And he's the first person. No. To stumble yeah, there's could, it. Well, if other according people According to the story. Up, well, yeah, according to the story, yeah. Well, yes, but there could be a, a tons of people who have had this experience who've gone into the situation and then we're just not hearing their story, right? You could have set the story in a million different situations. Maybe other people, maybe 20 people a day like happened upon to this scene or that would that would be a bad adjustment team. They would get a bad <laughs> Yelp review. Yeah, right. On, <laughs> adjustmentteam.com and um you know the commissioner would get upset. right you can see it's an unexplored or unexplained idea because the i mean there's so many elements to this 
idea of stopping a section of reality and changing it while the rest of reality is going on. Oh, and they like show this concept is so flimsy to me. Yes. It's a very flimsy concept. But here's here's the thing is that they could show up as uh salesman, the guy selling light bulbs, uh vacuum cleaner person, like they can show up in all these different disguises. So they're ideally coming at people in different ways, like to get set up into these situations, which right. is also, again, not very well explored in the story. <laughs> right. But I, I just feel like we're going to say that a lot. I should do um, the quick rundown. Oh, so, like the whole... Yeah. yeah, so this is what happens in the story. Uh, our hero, Ed, is that his name? Ed Fletcher. Ed Fletcher uh, is supposed to be neuralized or whatever it is, changed by the Adjustment Bureau. We can just but call ends up being. But he ends up being late for work instead of early for work and sees that they're adjusting things. And that's when he sees all the ash and the, the gray and everything is falling apart. Then he goes, he escapes, goes to find his wife. They have a little chat, go back to the office and they try to make like everything's okay. But he notices all the subtle changes and then he tries to escape the office again, goes to a phone booth to call the cops. Ends up talking to God or the uh, Father Time or whatever we want to call him. And then Father Time says, hey, it's cool, man. All you have to do is just not tell anybody else. So is Father Time, in, in the way you're explaining it, he's he's, he's going to be played by Jeff Daniels? Or Look, no, Jeff man. Bridges. <laughs> Jeff Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> the way you're explaining Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then. Chill out, man. Chill. It's cool. It's cool. You're the guy. <laughs> I'm the dude. So he. Sends him back to his house. His wife's all pissed off, thinks he's cheating on her. And then he's just about to tell her the whole story. And the dog barks again, and a salesman comes oh, to the door. And she is hysterical. Yeah, she's not happy. In a way that I've noticed that Dick could only write a stereotypical, hysterical <laughs> female character. I'm going to get into it today, you guys. Because it's it. annoying. When he had finished, Ruth sat back, her face white, hands trembling. I see, she murmured. No wonder you're upset. She drank a little cold coffee, the cup rattling against the saucer. What a terrible thing. Ed leaned intently toward his wife. Ruth, do you think I'm going crazy? Uh, Ruth's red lips twisted. I don't know what to say. It's so strange. And then, yeah, like she's shaking and like her whole cup and, and she's everything. she's digging her nails into his arm. Yeah. I mean, and then, yeah, and then the dog <laughs> shows up and... And it, I guess that beep, damn beep, dog beep. finally does its job right for once. Right. Yeah. But that, that's kind of a question that I've had since we started. Maybe they maybe shouldn't what? have gotten a canine for their team. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they should have gotten somebody a little with, you know, bipedal. Oh, you something. mean a human? Yeah. I'm not going to say that I think humans are naturally better at everything. There might be tasks that a dog might be helpful for strong sense of smell but, but that brings to question for me kind of how dick represents women because in oh, the it's last awful in this in, story it, it's terrible what's well, terrible in the story but it's also hasn't been great in some of the other stories we read the True. cosmic puppets and he just basically ditches his his wife he's like, see you later i gotta go but in this discussion when he's talking to the weird all father forget boob mountain oh that's right boob mountain <laughs> <sighs> Who can forget in that Boob in, in this when he's talking to the 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 all father of the adjustment team, it, it goes a little something like this. 
<laughs> and this is when this is how I started my freestyle rap career. <laughs> so, so the the scene is Ed is talking to the All Father. Oh God, this part is bad. I remember this now. Something went wrong. An error occurred, and now a serious problem exists. You have seen these things. You know a great deal, and you are not coordinated with the new configuration. You aren't privy to the new shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, that's what he's saying. Gosh, Ed muttered. Well, I won't tell anybody. Cold sweat poured off of him. You can count on that. I'm as good as changed. You have already told someone, the old man said coldly. Me? Ed blinked. Who? Your wife. Ed trembled. The color drained from his face, leaving it sickly white. That's right, I did. Your wife knows, the old man's face twisted angrily, a woman of all the things to tell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you guys, do you feel that Dick has some content, son? Excuse yeah, me. it's not just the era, which was bad I, enough. I don't think, yeah, the era's bad enough, but I feel... That Dick has some some kind of contempt for women. Oh, he has a lot of contempt for women. Yeah, and if he, you look at his marriage, he already had at this point at one point two marriages. Like, and and wasn't he dating multiple? Not uh, again. I'm not knocking anybody who's polyamorous, but didn't he have multiple wives or girlfriends at once? Oh yeah, he was not yes. good with women. No, he was not not good with gender issues, and and I think. You know, in 2018, I'm not not going to defend it as as the era, but definitely, you know, that shit don't fly like it like it did then, and and it was not okay at any point. And yes, that's hard to read, and that there's just there's just no way around it. It's just not good. Is it as bad as Lovecraft's flaming racism? I don't know. It's different, but I, I definitely. Yeah, did well, not... Lovecraft stuff was in his own private life, not in. Oh no, it's in the stories. There's definitely. Mm. Oh That's no, that's debatable. Oh, oh, Larry, there's definitely um, racist. I mean, like, was oh, yeah, wasn't there a story where the cat was was named? Wait, are we the N word? Oh, are you referring to uh, a... the rats? But the then walls? again, you're yes. talking about an entirely different era. Yeah, now that was way back, but um, but we can look at that now and say, Eesh. yeah, of course. But I, th- I, I think that it we can't dance around the fact that there's some really bad sexual politics involved with with this. God, you want to see some bad sexual politics? Watch almost any of the old 007 movies. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that goes without saying. But... I know your generation hates everything. No, Larry, my create. generation actually really loves things and wants to fix things. I hate I know. everything. If everybody's the same, everything hate. will be happy. I am a machine full of hate. It is true. Wait. <laughs> it is true. That is very true. Okay, so for that will be for an episode of the, Trevi- of the <laughs> Trevino cast. We're calling it the Trevapod. The Trevapod. The Trevapod. The Trevinopod? Yeah. Trevinopod, I think. Okay. Trevapod. Trevinopod. Yeah, that is just a not okay part of the story. Yeah, you know, uh, a woman no less. It's just, it's not, it's not okay. But and I, I and even if this wasn't 2018, if I had read that in 2000, that still would have been off-putting for me. Mm-hmm. As I'm assuming it would be for you. But if yeah, you read I, it, I don't know about but Mr. It, if you read Mr. it in the misogyny year, over here. If you read it in 65, you might not. I don't have that option. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's all just based on your own narrow little view. Oh, fuck. Okay. Look, let's... 
Let's we'll not, fist fight later. Let's not totally go down this rabbit hole. I, I think... Um, well, Anthony wanted to. Yeah, I, th- I think... I always want to. I think... It makes for... Go ahead, David. Sorry. I think it's really important to always, to a degree, read these stories with, at least from our perspective as, you know, podcasters who are breaking it down, to think about what it meant to read the story at the time it was released. If you're reading this in Orbit Sci-Fi for the first time, like, you know, and you don't know, you don't have a big relationship with Philip K. Dick as an author because he hasn't published a lot of stuff. And in 1954... Definitely that would have been less of a big deal. However, I mean, because at this point, almost all the women who were writing science fiction were writing under men's names still at this point. Or names that could be mistaken, like Andre Norton, James Tiptree Jr., who was a a woman I never remember her real name. Um, You know, uh, outside of Ursula Le Guin, who just said, you know, F that, I'm writing. You can say fuck, David. I know. I don't know why I, I don't know why I didn't just say <laughs> you, she said self-edited. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just. It, it's really fun when we, we read our, our chapters out loud to each other and David censors chapters I've written with, with things like, and that's why you're a, all right. <laughs> I yeah. enjoy it very much. I just never say the B word under any circumstance. I, the, there's times where I type it in stories, but I just, yeah. I have characters saying it. I just don't like to say it myself. Hey, that's. Nobody's knocking you for it. Um, I have, when I was reading publicly at a, like, reading event where I had no choice but to read it because that would look really weird. So, but I just, you know, I even prefer, I just, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. That is kind of funny. So, um, I don't know. Are we done with that? Are we moving on? Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. So. Well, but, but in the discussion when this episode comes out, I would like to have a discussion about it. Either it be online, on like, I don't know. I don't really want to have to get on Facebook, but do an AMA, Instagram, Goodreads. Yeah, I think it would be something to discuss. Yeah, I mean, of course, we'd always love your thoughts. For the um, love of God, more feedback. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so one thing that I really liked about the story, and this is neat because, and this is just on a side note, I just started wor- last week. I started working on a short story. I hadn't worked on a short story in a long time. And I'm writing a very PKD-influenced story. And this next part where he shows back up to the office and he just sees little things are different. says uh, the inner office was different. He turned his head slowly, taking in the sights, the desks, the chairs. Fisher's file cabinets, pictures, changes, little changes, subtle. This was a way I, in the story I'm working on right now, I'm doing a lot of similar things where working with, the the environment just changing in little and tiny subtle ways that kind of showcase the differences and how this you know the paranoia sets in and I did like that element of it and I did like that it was subtle so that was that was a moment that I really appreciated about the story I really liked that he got to the desk and he just said it wasn't the same desk right it was just different and he could tell now, maybe it was supposed to look like the same desk, but it was turned to ash by the adjustment team or whatever. The woman, Mary, was filing her nails over by the window. She was taller, fuller. I don't know what that means. Uh, her Bigger purse boobs. lying on the desk in front of her, a red purse. So, like, he knew that her purse was different. I just really liked that those little details were different, and I thought that was actually a moment that worked in this story. Except you don't know why. Uh, Well, we... Well, we haven't figured that out yet. No, 
No, we don't know why even at the end of the story. Why were those, why were all those little things changed? Uh, I think you know why, because they're, well, because when they adjust in the story, when they, when they make these adjustments to the sectors, sector T137 or whatever it was, um, when they make those adjustments, they, they are changing everything and maybe they don't get the details all exactly right. But if you're suddenly looking at things as being different, you may notice things that you wouldn't have otherwise noticed. You know, I don't know because I was trying to think of it as if I showed up to the classroom where I'm, where I'm a teacher and, um, you know, I left for lunch and I came back and someone's hair was a different color <laughs> or, or they're, you know, suddenly they didn't have the bag that they had, you know, that would be a weird feeling. And that's what I, I, I do really enjoy that about a lot of Dick's work is that something is slightly off and there's a deeper, more kind of maybe not malicious, but darker intent behind it. And right. So it does give you the ability to create kind of a mystery. Mm-hmm. Which I really enjoy about it, but then it gets it it gets kind of sidelined be- because we skip everything. Yeah, and look, um, the story I'm working on right now that's that's the whole the the little subtle changes are all done to kind of further the mystery to make you wonder. You don't know why in the beginning why it's happening. So, do you want to plug more of your short stories on this podcast? <laughs> well, it's not going to be published anytime soon. I was just, uh, just making sure. I'm just talking. About- I didn't know. I didn't realize on the I was on the Agra no cast. Jesus Christ. No, I'm bringing it up because um, the story has specifically been influenced by doing this podcast. Okay. Right? And when we talk all the time, when we break down all these different ways that we're affected by PKD's writing, um, this was the first example of a time where I'm writing something that is very affected by doing this podcast. But I had started working on that story before I read this one. And what I really enjoyed was the fact that um, he is doing some of the things that I that I was trying to do with the story. And then on the next page, there's a line where he basically, he had to call the police. He held the receiver to his ear, his heart pounding, warned them, changes. Somebody's tampering with reality, altering it. He had been right. The white clad men, their equipment going through the building. And so that's where he really basically comes out and says that they're tampering with reality. Instead of just, you know, and I think that the use of the word reality there was kind of important. Um, because are they, you know. Well, what are you saying? Otherwise it would be something else? Well. Prior to that, it could have been something else? Yeah, I think a that's. A simulation or something? Yeah. Are you in a simulation? Because in a PKD story, you could clearly be in a simulation. Right. But, right. but what they're doing is they're, they're altering everything that is real. Right. Basically, they're changing reality. So, well, there's another thing in the story that struck me as I want, I, I kind of like the idea of it. And I wish it had been expanded upon, or at least it's something that would be interesting to, to me. I don't know how you guys feel about it. But when he's, it's earlier when he's talking to the, uh, the adjustment all father. The and, old man. The old man. <laughs> the adjustment and he all says, That's and, the next part and, I had highlighted. And the all father says, it was not your fault. You were a victim of a clerical error. A mistake was made, not by you, but involving you. So that actually kind of speaks to all my issues and kind of boredom with this story aside. That actually speaks to a weird, deeper fear I have in life in general is just how 
fucked up your life can get based on a, a small clerical error right in in the bigger part of this this intrusive government machine we live in mm-hmm. um and i just thought that was interesting but we never kind of we never go back to that metaphor that i not metaphor, but that idea you know mm-hmm. yeah that one small thing one small little just like everything else in the story making it on the making it on the the record can alter your personal future drastically and i, I find that kind of interesting yeah, uh, how you guys feel about it. Well, and I also think the old man, the wise old man telling him that he I think it's important to note too that he told him that he wasn't dead. You know, and he sure. made clear to him that like no, you're you did not make it to heaven. <laughs> you know, you're not. There are so many of these kind of all-knowing characters at the end of the road that that the, the protagonist talks to. Do you guys remember the first time you encountered that type of a character? Cuz for me it was the Matrix, of whichever one where they meet the guy who does all the... Oh, the wise one that tells... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a Joseph Campbell, like, trope. Right. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Because you, you're saying the first time you saw that... Well, was... the first time I, I actively remember seeing that trope used... Not Obi-Wan dog? You didn't, like, you know... I don't I don't bro. necessarily think that Obi-Wan is a man behind the curtain as much as that guy. Oh, okay. Okay, you're saying, oh, like, totally man behind the curtain. Yeah. Well, the Emperor kind of was, but... Yeah, kind of. Anyway, yeah. we're getting off topic. Sorry, I yeah. just thought that was kind of interesting. Coming up after the part that you read is the first uh, is when he mentions that um, calling people elements for the first time, and he actually says it's an official term. Let it pass. A mistake was made. Hope to rectify that. Um, <laughs> and then Ed says those people, the heaps of dry ash, heaps of dry ash and gray, like they were dead. The only. Th- it only it was everything the stairs the walls the floor no color no life and then that's the old man says that sector has been temporarily de-energized that's wackadoo science yeah, I was about to say so the adjustment team could enter and affect changes so it's almost like when they're turning everything to ash and everything they're making it pliable so they can move things around and maybe they're like I was kind of thinking of like when Tom Cruise was controlling the control things in Minority Report. He was like, just using Google Glass, David. Yeah. Right. So like the adjustment team, I just pictured them like kind of moving things around in the ashen state and then kind of reforming them, you know? And, and I thought that was kind of cool imagery. Yeah. You were supposed to have been in the sector when the adjustment began, but because of an error, you were not. You came into the sector late. Um, instead, you were witnessed as part of the adjustment, like the others, you would have under- undergone change. Um, can you read that any more, like, with any more boredom in your voice? <laughs> I could try, if you want me to. <laughs> Please don't, we'll okay. be here forever. Uh, the natural process must be supplemented, adjusted here and there, corrections were made, we are fully licensed to make corrections. So I like the idea that this, somebody licensed... Like that they, um, they have to get a license, or, you know, maybe that the adjustment team has some office with a, you know. Yeah, it's very confusing. Fu- yeah. That's kind of funny. And I think that's just, I think that's a kind of funny, like, satire thing for Dick that they would. Well, if you want to see that done well, read Douglas Adams. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, done poorly, you could see, um, Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it. There's a scene in Jupiter Ascending that's really, really dumb on that subject. One scene? No, on that, <laughs> on that particular subject. Okay. On that particular subject. I th- doesn't Brazil deal with those issues, too? Yes. Yeah, Brazil does. Uh, I haven't seen In fact, Brazil. that's pretty much all Brazil is about. 
Yeah, and, and you know that scene in Jupiter Ascending was supposed to be kind of an homage to Brazil. Oh, that came through. Yeah, it totally came. It's <laughs> obvious. Yeah, and so what's interesting, and this is this is very different from that. So what was really important is some little decision in his office and the real estate office sets off a chain of events that will eventually have the the Cold War end. Yeah. Right? which is interesting because it's 1954 and they say that alteration is vital. It is dependent on the purchase and clearing of the section of wilderness in Canada. The old Douglas would, uh, would not have dared to take this work with wholehearted enthusiasm. So they had to change him personally so, or his boss personally. So he would behave differently and, and he would buy the land. He would buy the land, which is kind of an interesting, you know, Whatever. Um, <laughs> An I, interesting whatever. <laughs> David's exploration of the, the 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 metaphors and themes in Philip K. Dick's selected works. <laughs> Good lord! It was an interesting whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to call it. It was an interesting. Little Is there any wackadoo part. science in this? We just did one. Was the the sector being adjusted? I mean, it's almost fan for me. It's less wackadoo. De-energized. Science. You were temporarily wackadoo de- spirituality. Yeah, yeah. It, to me, it's more fantastical than even scientific. Yeah, but, they yeah, do the wackadoo science better in the movie, I think. But they're breaking down the the ashes is de-energizing. That's wackadoo science. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll bite. It might be wackadoo spirituality at the same time, but it's 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 wackadoo. both. Yeah. It's wackadoo science. So, yeah, then Ed gets home, right? And, uh, Ruth came flying, face distorted with tears. She threw her arms around him, hugging him tight. Where the hell have you been? Because every time my wife has asked me where the hell have you been, she hugs me first. <laughs> right? It's kind of, doesn't right? make sense. <laughs> no, uh, you get the dirty look and then where the hell have you been? Not that that's ever happened to me before. Ever. <laughs> yeah, okay. I believe that. Hey, if you were married, it would happen to you, too. So. It happens to me anyway! <laughs> well, with your roommates? It doesn't happen to me. This isn't the relationship cast. Moving on. Uh, well, when we do Trevino, uh, Trevino cast. But, uh, Trevin Pod. Tre- uh, I'm sticking Trevino to it. Trevapod. Trevapod. Sticking to it. Yeah, so then uh, everything seems to be <laughs> put back in order. He's accepted his fate as being adjusted, right? And then, then Sweep Right Vacuum Cleaner Company shows up. Oh my god. And dun dun dun, twist at the end. It's not really a twist. It just, <laughs> it's like the, I mean, it's not. It's a bookend. It's not. It's a bookend. And, and I actually, it is the. He's still being it's, watched. It's, sure. But I've never, I mean, maybe I have, but. Not recent, recently, I, I can't remember a story I've read recently that has such a neat little bow on the end. Ed Fletcher sat down on the bed. He groped in his pocket until he found his cigarettes. Shakily, he lit one and leaned back against the wall, weak with relief. He gazed up, a look of gratitude on his face. Thanks, he said softly. I think we'll make it. After all, thanks a lot. Fuck you, man. <laughs> That's, what a, Dumb ending. I like the ending. Why? It's clean. It's... It's the only clean thing in the whole story. It's safe in boring. 
I know. You think everything is boring, though. That's not true. Unless there's an explosion, you think it's boring. Oh, Larry, don't pigeonhole me as some millennial that's just... You know, I gotta. I can only watch movies if they have explosions and transmorphers in it. <laughs> oh, well, hold on. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Later, we'll we'll explore. Yeah, this the, is a story, the, not a movie. The Anthony version of uh, of Adjustment Bureau. Well, I thought Second Variety was fucking great, so you can suck it. Yeah, he did like Second Variety. You mean Quite the one bit. with the explosions? The one with the explosion. Yeah, you know what? You know what? <laughs> you, you, know, you know what? You got me. Uh, Trevino has been gotten. All right. So let's uh, – are we going to review both together or should we Should we um, give our hat magic hat rating um, yeah. <laughs> now for I'm the I'm not story? giving my magic hat rating to the, the book. I'll give you how many talking dogs I give it. Okay. How many? No magic hats in the story. How many talking dogs out of five do you give Adjustment Team? One talking dogs out of five. Yep. I thought this was a story with a lot of interesting ideas that ultimately goes nowhere. The writing style is pretty... There's nothing wrong with it. I just felt that everything in this story feels rushed, and we we have a a low-key start. We sprint to the end, and then the end wraps up in a neat little bow, and I personally wasn't really that interested in anything... Not one that was thing. honestly going on. I wanted to know more about the stuff that got sidelined. So one talking dog out of five. I'm going to give it at least a second talking dog just for like some of the kind of weird and cool concepts that were there. But um, the execution was, I mean, this is the first time I've given. Well, no, I gave Cosmic Puppets um, well, I, two. Yeah, I, dis- um, I disagree so. with Anthony. Oh, what else is fucking new? <laughs> I think I think there was poor writing in this. To add to everything else, there was a lot of sections that just seemed really like amateurish writing. You're not disagreeing with him. He he said that there was no, no. He said the writing was good. I said the writing was fine. Yeah. Okay. Which isn't. I mean, I'm not. It's not a resounding licking PKD's ball sack. (laughs) But I thought the uh, (laughs) along with the unexplored ideas, along with the terrible characterizations. Along with all that stuff, yeah, and I the writing was a little stale, a little amateurish. Eh, that's what I mean when I say it's fine. There, there were a few moments of narrative in the narrative that I liked. Um, I definitely liked the subtle changes. I liked some of the some of that stuff. Again, they were pointless, but still, I don't think they were pointless. But I still didn't like the story overall. I mean. And I kind of chalk that up to being early PKD to, you know, him not really. And it's interesting because, you know, when we'll talk later about how PKD would feel about this, is I wonder if he would just be like, why that story? You know? Right. You know, why that story for a movie? And, you <laughs> that know, that's a per- good question. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, you have a, you know, well, let's, let's talk about the, Let's get into the movie. Let's get into the movie. But, oh, Larry, did you... You gave it one yep. talking dog? Okay. Well, I'd like to give it one and a half, but I don't want to cut a dog in half. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Or maybe you didn't even notice that well, we they, took a break. Well, they know now. They know now that we it. took a break. Okay, so the movie of the adjustment team, uh, which was adapted by... What was the director's name? 
Greg Nolfi? George. George Nolfi. That's fine. I, so it's just as much a forgettable name as it was a movie. <laughs> okay, so. Wow, that was a little bit meaner than I intended. I apologize. That's fine. Uh, you meant it. Uh, I'm not offended. <laughs> <laughs> George, George Nolfi, uh, did not have a ton of credits before getting this gig. He had sold, he, in 2004, he adapted his spec screenplay, Honor Among Thieves, which was almost directed by John Woo into Ocean's 12. So he had written it as a regular, just heist movie, not an Ocean's movie, and sold it. And John Woo was circling it, attached to it, and that's how his career started, and then turning it into Ocean's 12, which I didn't realize Ocean's 12 was from 2004. So that was like his big break, and I'm guessing perhaps he met Matt Damon on the set of Ocean's 12? Possibly. Yeah. Irish maps? Um, they probably talked about Bastin, because they're both from Bastin. So then he was hired to work with Tony Gilroy on the screenplay for Born. Born Ultimatum, the third. That's the third Born movie? Right? Yep. Yeah. No, it's the second one. Born Supremacy is the... Third. Oh, really? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> those of you big... It doesn't born, matter. If it's not the first one, it doesn't matter. You big Born fans out there are probably really pissed that uh, we're getting this wrong. Hey, look, I, I have actually not seen a Born film. Oh, the first one is great. But I hear they're yeah. good. Yeah. No, the first one is. The first one's really good. Uh, I kind of like the, the other two, but I'm a big fan of Tony Gilroy, and I think Tony Gilroy in interviews gives really good writing advice. So I would imagine working with Tony Gilroy on a script would be, you know, a lot to learn, or perhaps they didn't work together. It could have just done a draft either before or after right. Gilroy. Probably, I'm guessing before. Maybe not. Gilroy wrote all okay. the books. Maybe films. before, maybe moving on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, anyways, that is clearly where he met Matt Damon. And George Nolfi didn't have a film before this. And as far as pretty I'm pretty sure it's Nolfi. Nolfi, yeah. He didn't direct another movie for another seven years, which what happens. What was his follow up movie? Uh, he did a, um, a martial arts action movie called Birth of the Dragon. And I haven't seen it. Yeah. Didn't, didn't I see his which name is, attached to Pathfinder? Which I seem to is remember. Is a TV show on Netflix? Oh, I'm probably thinking of that movie, Pathfinder. Um, I think he did directed a few episodes of a show called Pathfinder on Netflix. Or Allegiances or something. He, he directed a couple episodes of a Netflix show. You can look it up yourself on imdb.com. <laughs> right. Oh, man, Larry's getting irritated. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so anyways, it, it looks like he developed the script. And perhaps took it to Damon, and once Damon got attached, that's one of the reasons why it was able to move forward. Uh, $50 million budget's not too shabby for a movie of this size. Especially for a first-time director. Yeah, for a first-time director. And I'm guessing that, I don't know, I mean, this movie did alright. It got nominated for a bunch of different random awards, um, like... For some reason, it got nominated for a Bram Stoker Award uh, for right. screenplay. It got nominated for People's Choice Awards, all these other things. And it was, I mean, it grossed $127 million in the at the box office, which is a profit. So I don't really understand why this guy never got another chance. You know, and there, maybe there's politics to that. But so this movie has a really strong cast. Yeah. 
which is the next thing we're going to talk about. So for the cast, uh, obviously Matt Damon in the lead. Uh, this was at the height of his stardom, just coming off all the Bourne movies. And, you know, he was, I guess his only Oscar has really been for writing, uh, yep. Goodwill Hunting. But, you know, he's a respected actor, so that was a big coup for... And I think that's a good thing that both of the big Boston guys, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, have both done a PKD story. I think it's good. Right. I think it was good attention for Philip K. Dick and for the estate of Philip K. Dick that... Wait, what PKD movie did Ben Affleck do? Paycheck. Paycheck. Oh, I haven't I haven't seen Paycheck. Um, you will. We will, yeah, eventually. Don't watch it before we do it. This was after Paycheck, so I think uh, Ben had already done it. So may, for, for all I know, maybe when Ben Affleck did his PKD movie that maybe Damon was like, I got to get me some dick, too. Ooh, jeez. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And I wasn't the one to make that. <laughs> yeah, <joke>. right. <laughs> that's, that's something. All right. So for whatever reason, Matt Damon's signed on. And I think Matt Damon brings with him... Some cachet, so you're going to get some other good actors. And we got opposite him is Emily Blunt in the romantic lead. And before we talk about Emily Blunt specifically in this movie, um, the cast also includes Anthony Mackie. But this was before he he played Falcon and and he was on the New Girl. Yeah, so he I don't on that show, think right? he was as big of a star, but he was, was it really, before. When did he know. first appear as Falcon? Um, Civil War. Oh, this movie came, yeah, this movie came out way, way before, before Civil War. any of the MCU stuff. Yeah. This was 2011. We're not talking about 20 years ago. Yeah. It's only... It was 2000, this movie came out in 2011? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't... Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you think it was older? or I thought old? it was older. Yeah. So, uh, Mackie, I don't think he had been in anything really huge before this, but... Well, isn't he... A, he was on The New Girl, which is a pretty popular TV show. Was he? With uh, Zoe Deschanel. Pretty well, sure. Well, you're looking at it, Larry. Tell yeah, us. Yeah, Larry. Was he on The New Girl? Not that I can see. Maybe I'm wrong. He was on... I think I'm wrong. I think he was on 30 Rock a little bit. Or was it... Or no. Yeah, um, he, he was in The Hurt Locker, Eagle Eye... Oh, we Her, are Marshall. Walker was a big movie. Eagle Eye was ridiculous. Million Dollar Baby. I mean, I I don't know the size of the parts he had in those. Yeah, but he was in a few good movies. Yeah. So, next in the cast, in, uh, in Anthony's early, favorite, the Manchurian Candidate, <laughs> the remake. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, he wasn't. He, <laughs> he was not in the one in the fifties. <laughs> yeah. Duh. Oh my god, <laughs> that was ridiculous. You have a right to be laughing at me out there, public. Right. Um. <laughs> So next big actor in the movie was John Slattery, who um, was known for Mad Men. He was the boss in in Mad Men, who was having the affair with... What was his character's name in uh, Mad Men? I don't remember. Anyways, <laughs> but so he was used to wearing fedoras and stuff in Mad Men. And he's really good in this movie, I think. And it's weird, he kind of drops off towards the end. Yeah. A little oh. bit, once Terrence stands. Guys, I'm so wrong. Anthony Mackie was never in the new girl. I don't know why I like placed him in there. All right. Sorry. I just had to correct myself. It's all right. It's all right. We forgive you. So John Slattery is really good and, and kind of rounding out the cast is, uh, the limey General Zod himself, Terrence Stamp, who kind of, I, you know, it really, like we kept saying in, in the movie, like this totally seemed like a Frank Langella role. Like, yeah. like they would try to cast Frank Langella for this role. If he wasn't dead. He's, He's not, he wasn't dead in 2011. Yeah. 
Are you sure? When did Frank Langella die? I don't think he's dead. <laughs> so welcome to just, yes, he, he is dead. where we just don't you research guys. anything anymore. <laughs> okay, anyways, Terrence Stamp is really good as kind of like the... He's the, not dead. I knew it. I should have bet you a burrito. Um, <laughs> he was just in something, like some TV show. The Americans. He was just in The Americans. Yeah, that's why I knew he wasn't dead. Um, he should play my grandpa in a movie. Yeah, he plays a Russian sleeper agent in um, in um in the Americans. Anyways, uh Terrence Stamp kind of plays the antagonist, like like the the real mean adjustment bureau member, the like hard hard ass right adjustment bureau guy. And I think that's a really good role for him, and he's really good in it. Yeah. So uh, it's his forte, that's for sure. So one of the things that does not suck for this movie is the cast. The cast is really good, and there's a lot of really good actors here. Uh, doing good work. That's less of the problem for the movie. Now, overall, when we get to the end of this, I generally... I was thinking of Robert Loja. <laughs> as being dead? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure you weren't getting him confused with Ernest Borgnine? How do you get Ernest Borgnine confused <laughs> with talking, anyone? I'm just talking shit, dude. Okay, so if we go around the room, and this is going to be apparent <laughs> as we talk about the movie, is that I probably liked it the most... Larry thought it was okay, and yep. Anthony is a big, grumpy, like, hater, hater. on this movie. It's so, full of haterade, that one over there. So just know that that's coming, I, that this I, is the way we're going to talk about it. He took a big so, dose of haterade. I, I think you're mis- I, I think you're misremembering. I thought the movie was okay. I hate- Oh, you just hate story. love. Yeah, thank you. Get it right. Okay. <laughs> So, um, we've talked about the cast, writer, director, so let's just get into reviewing this movie. Do you want, uh, so let's talk about the major differences between the story and. The, oh, God. That's everything. Yeah. It's very different. It is not a faithful adaptation. Character names are completely different. And, and I think that's And I would say, I would say for once, not going along with the source material was the best idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess. I'm sorry. I forgot one thing about cast. That in the montage at the beginning, there's all kinds of insane cameos, including two cameos by John Stewart when he was at the height of Daily Show popularity. There was, um, like James Carville. Right. And, uh, I'm, Wolf Blitzer. Wolf Blitzer. Michael Bloomberg. That's not cheap to get those people, I don't think, to do a movie unless, you know, you can just somehow convince them to do it. And that may be Matt Damon getting on the phone and saying, hey, be in my movie. And Matt Damon might be able to do that. But that was just kind of an interesting thing. So, sorry, I almost forgot that. And uh, two actors were cut out of the movie, but we'll talk about that when we get to the end. And not just little actors. So, all right. Anyways, the difference is, Larry, continue. Where, where was I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they basically uh, scrapped the whole story and just kept the Adjustment Bureau. That was pretty much the only thing that survived from from the short story was the adjustment. Well, adjustment team in the story, yeah, Adjustment Bureau in the uh, in the movie. Although coming- they're not really named, are they? Or at least uh, Matt Damon's character doesn't know the name of the Adjustment Bureau. I think they actually say it one time. They might, but yeah. Matt Damon doesn't, his character doesn't know. He doesn't know what they're called. Cause he's, he struggles. They're just they. He struggles when, when he's like kind of losing his mind talking to Emily Blunt's character, like Elise. 
Elise was yeah. Name? Yeah, when he's talking to Elise and he's just like blabbering, trying to convince her, like, hey, you got to run with me. One of the things is he doesn't know what to call them. They're these guys, <laughs> you know. And I, I think the only thing that's really similar is that fact that he comes back to the office and the general concept of the, that they just change little things. They oversee things. And it is good that they eject it. They give a much more definitive reason for the adjustment yeah. bureau to exist. Yeah. And um, Terrence Stamp has – there's a lot of exposition in this movie. Far too much. Yeah. I kind of thought it was okay. I liked how they did it in two scenes in particular. There were two scenes that I thought were good exposition. That's, yeah, but it took away from the pacing quite a bit. Yeah, I liked the scene where when Matt Damon was first like chained to the chair and then everyone was kind of showing up and, and I thought that scene was done well because there was like kind of outside tension because he's tied to the chair and then people show up. Who are these people? You know? Right. And they're just talking and then, but he's got to be thinking who, who the fuck is this and what are they going to do to me? So I liked that it had that kind of outside, um, texture. And then, uh, there was one other, and then the scene where Terrence Stamp explains the reasoning for the Adjustment Bureau to do what they're doing. And he explains that, yeah, about a hundred years ago, we just decided to let you, and this was kind of a goofy thing, cause, the, you know, we decided to give you more free will, and then World War Two, World War One, World War Two happened, and then the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, and then we were like, we can't, we can't let them be on the Gotta rain them back. So apparently all the wars and everything that happened before 1910 were not enough <laughs> to yeah. make them decide to let people have, you know, that this free will thing wasn't working. It was more about how the stakes had... Had risen. Had risen over that time. I guess, yeah, I see that. And so the idea was that there is this much bigger scope to what the Adjustment Bureau is doing. And I liked that because... You know, and I guess, you know, before I was like, why the hell did they make him a politician? But I guess in order to make the stakes that important, they had to have somebody who was going to be potentially in power. Yeah, involved with the world in some way. And that's a plus, narratively speaking, for the arc and for why that they're connecting. But the problem with that was is that all the things they had to do on the side to make him a politician were fucking corny. (laughs) Um, and that was a thing that I didn't, even though I liked the movie overall, him having to give political speeches and having to do the political commentary and him being a a candidate, um, was, were very corny moments of this movie. Yeah. Like the montage of him going around doing his campaign was just bad. And I think one of the things is, is, you know, George Nullify, for whatever, he has really bad taste in music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the music in this movie was dreadful. And and it just... And I don't think... Yeah, this, and it started with the opening scene, right? It was a terrible song they chose for the opening yeah, credits. Yeah, weird, like, 90s alt-rock sounding music. Yeah. I wouldn't even give it alt. It was just, like, bad... It just seemed like... It's more upbeat than I think... Really, than the movie the calls, scene calls than the scenes that it's used in calls for. Yeah, it yeah. makes it seem kind of goofier rather than giving me a sense of tension that he's got to make this make it. Yeah, through. yeah. In if I was directing this movie, I would have. Well, and I'm not. If, if, it, I, if any of us <laughs> were directing the movie, it doesn't have to be me. 
My choice, if I was involved in this, would be to make the score a little bit more ominous mm-hmm. and just yeah, yeah, and and you don't and that kind of like rock and roll, like hey, we're moving and grooving. You know? <laughs> that does not work. It just especially when he's running around town, going through different doors with that stupid hat on. Yeah. And playing that song during the kind of running and chasing scene just didn't work. If they had had music that kind of swelled and kind of built tension and made you feel like that, I I think you wouldn't have noticed it as much, but it would have played better. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was, that was something that I will ding about the adjustment bureau, but there were other things that I liked. So one of the other differences is that the, in the film, they, they have, uh, which Anthony's already mentioned, the magic hats. So the adjustment team, like their weird technology is all very, it's all new. It doesn't, wasn't in the story. Like they have these notebooks that basically provide maps that show that they're, they're like kind of like computerized. It's the stand in for the map that the kind of father time figure shows Ed in the story. Yep. Right. And, but it so- has more of a schematic feel to it. And- yeah. And, and so it looks like kind of like a, it's like a changing map and it shows them the changes as it's happening. And you definitely get the idea because Slattery has a scene where he like looks at the map and then says, Oh, well, this is happening or this change is happening. So you get the idea that they're able to read it. You know, that there's some kind of complex wackadoo science going on on the yeah. page and they, they can decipher it. It's kind of like, it's it's this movie's version of when Chewbacca goes and everybody just knows what he's saying, and so they just know. And I the, the notebooks were interesting, but the other like kind of science and thing that they have is or or fantasy. It's more fantasy is that these hats that they have these hats that are kind of like a key, like that when they go through doors, it can transport them from one door to another spot within the city. So, and ideally, I guess you would say that the adjustment team has those in every city in the world, that they would have all these various, like, paths and doors and things that were going on. And you know. different hats. And, yeah. And anybody wearing a hat could potentially be one of their guys. And and we only see guys. That was another... Yeah, there's no... And they apparently, don't actually explore no that, on the adjustment that idea. Bureau. Then there, there's no reason given for why it's just uh, feels like a bunch of... Old boys club with their dumb hats. Well, and one thing, uh, God in the original draft of the story, the chairman mm-hmm. is a, is a woman. Okay. So, um, do they ever explore that though in the movie? I didn't hear anything. No, about no, they that. cut. They, they cut that. They cut oh. that scene. They changed the ending after the test screenings. Somebody so. in the audience went, "A woman can't be no chairman." <laughs> yeah. Somebody. Yeah. It was probably K. Dix. That sucks. From 1954. Right. That sucks. Uh, hey, you laughed. Um, well, you know, no, I just mean it. It sucks that test screenings were so poor at that idea that they cut it from the film. I don't think that it was the the fact that it was a woman. I just think the idea of them talking to God at the end. Yeah. It wasn't that it was a woman. I think that it was. Oh, you have so much faith in people, David. Yeah, you oh, do. Actually, it's fucking disgusting how much faith in people you so have. So the actress who was going to play God in it is uh, the woman, the Iranian actress from The Expanse, and I'm going to uh, butcher her name. Hold on, I lost. 
I lost my... Anyways, um, she played the scene and she said... I'm going to get her name eventually. <laughs> she said that she felt in an interview that the studio was afraid to have a woman who was born in a Muslim country and obviously from Muslim descent playing God. Yeah. That was too politically sensitive oh for American God. audiences. Oh, my God. Um, however, there's no actual evidence of this. It's just her saying this. But she also said that George Nolfi was, like, in tears about cutting that scene, that he didn't want to cut that scene, apparently. You know so. there was somebody sitting in that test screening, some schlub they pulled off the street, Yep, who just went, nope. Not in my American-made movie. Get right. rid of it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's so true. So the actress and it was her probably name, more than one. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher her name. Sadly. She's an amazing actress. Show Showren. Ag- There's no N at the end of that name. Give me <laughs> wait, the phone. Wow. Oh, wait. <laughs> Anthony, read the name. Uh, Showre. Uh, and I'm sure that that sounds horrible coming out of my fucking California mouth. But yeah. At least I didn't add a letter. Agadash Lou. <laughs> she's awesome on Twitter, by the way. She's a good follow. She's on, she is amazing as like the president of the UN and the expanse. Um, just really great. So her quote was her exact quote. Oh my God. I love that role as actors. We all know we're at the mercy of the editing table, but not to this extent. Never had I experienced it. The director, George Nolfi, decided I should play God. Everything went great until I got a call from the director who was asking me to have lunch with me. He was on the verge of crying. He said the distribution company believes that you cannot play this role. That's right. Although if I'm asked what religion I am, I say I was raised a Muslim. I don't introduce myself as a Muslim woman. But I guess the distribution company put the dots together and felt it's too early for this. So, and she was also great as Ben Kingsley's wife in the House of Sand and Fog. And she had, she was in a movie in the early 80s in Iran that was her breakthrough role. I can't remember what it was. Just an amazing actor in general. So it's too bad that she wasn't given that chance to play God. So, yeah, so there are no um, women on the Adjustment Bureau. So, yeah, anyways, um, so the hats open these doors that go from one location to the other. We already started to talk about that. I actually really liked that aspect of the story. And I thought that kind of the running chase scene through like the various doors was one of the better parts of the story. And the the first time I saw the movie in the theater, I really liked that part. And I was more forgiving of the movie. The first, well, Let's be honest. The first time I saw it, I was seeing a movie by myself, letting the movie kind of go over me. This time I was listening to Anthony's commentary the whole time. So <laughs> it was a much different experience this time. And, you know, I've seen it a couple times, but I think one of the other things that was interesting dynamic that was different is that the first time I saw this movie, I didn't remember ever seeing Emily Blunt in anything before. And, and I was really kind of, I just, I thought she was great in this movie. I thought she was, and I do think that the uh, dynamic between um, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt in this movie is really interesting because at times their chemistry is really, really good. But at other times, like some of the lines and dialogue that they're being given to say is ridiculous and corny. So like (laughs) at the same time, like I really was convinced by their love story here. Yeah. 
But at the same time, it was some of it was kind of eye rolling and. Well, I, I put the blame squarely on George Nolfi. Yeah, the director. Yeah, definitely because the, he's got a he's the one in the editing room who's putting it together and you know he's piecing together because I'm sure they did these scenes a hundred different ways and you know maybe things. maybe but you never know because it yeah it is up to the but I thought Damon and Emily Blunt were good but here's here's one of the fundamental differences and one of the things that we're going to argue about for the next twenty minutes probably is that. One of the biggest differences is that the Adjustment Bureau is basically like a fantasy rom-com. It's definitely a romance movie. And at its core, it's become a story about love, which is something that was definitely not in the story. And that's one of the things that Grumpelophagus, to my left here, (laughs) uh, didn't like, is that this was a love story. He was rolling his eyes at how much of... Uh, David Norris, Matt Damon's character, how much of his drive was basically the love story? Because it all came down to, in this story, the Adjustment Bureau could not allow Elise and David to be together. That something terrible was going to happen if they got... And that's the only thing we're supposed to care about in life, you guys, is love. Jesus Christ. So, it, and that creates the dynamic of where David Norris as a character, Matt Damon's character, has to decide if, you know, his whole drive in the narrative is we both have dreams, you know, in this love story, but we may not be able to, we're, we may love each other and care about each other, but are we able to achieve our dreams, him as a politician, her as a ballet dancer, if we're together? And basically, the adjustment team at one point... Two of the most achievable things for the modern audience watching this movie, by the way. Being a ballet dancer. Or a, or a, or a politician. Or the or president. Yeah. And my issue is not really the love story. It's that it's not a unique or interesting love story to watch unfold. It's not done in a creative or kind of interesting way. Like, Edgar Wright's adaptation of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I didn't read the original source material, so I can't say if it was a better adaptation, but I like that movie a lot because of the way it does explore this relationship and the idea of love and kind of outside forces trying to stop it. And that that's a movie I really enjoy a love story in. But in this movie, nothing about it feels unique. It's two upscale people with jobs most of us could never attain being kept away from each other. Why am I supposed to care? Well, I've never given a reason to give any fucks about either of these characters, and that's not. Eh, and that's not to say that's that a cop Emily out Bl- answer. That's it, oh, is it? it How is, is it a cop anytime out anybody anybody says there, there's no reason to care about any character? They're all fictional. Oh fuck you, Larry! I mean, that, that that's whole a thing, cop out thing. To that say. whole thing is no, a cop I'm out. The movie's the mo- this, shut up. The movie's <laughs> job is to make me care as a reader or a viewer. And if you're not giving me characters I don't care about, then why do I give a shit about what they're struggling well, that's, through? That's your fucking cold heart. Oh, no, right? it's not a cold heart. It's it it's being given the heart. same dull story, the same dull narratives over and over again, and I'm supposed to just care because it's a love story. Well, fuck that. No, because, <laughs> listen, there are two things going on here. First of all, look, we see Paul, they're trying to give us a very unique reason to care about David Norris as a character. Which is what? Which, 
if you don't necessarily, it's not going to appeal to you, but the idea that he would go up there with this pre-planned speech and then start talking about, you know what, I was supposed to do this, and I was supposed to, like, his where he holds up the shoe, and, he's, and he talks about the differences between, you know, where the... the he the, loses the facade of the He loses politician. the whole facade. Oh, and, so he can become a cool man of the people guy. Okay. Well, but that is supposed... That's something that we... <laughs> it is the easiest direction to take with that character. But what is going on there narratively is you have a character who is trying to be a politician that we all want that we never get to see. And that makes him a character that we should like and care about. And at the same time, we're generally, as an audience, supposed to be smitten with Emily Blunt because, well, she's she's funny and she... She is delightful, and she's a character that we're supposed to like, but she also gives this guy something to make him feel that he can be free on that. And that makes them relatable and interesting characters. From a, from a writing perspective, all a writer and director can do is provide reasons to make you care. Now, you may be a cold-hearted bastard, but it's not that, it's not George Nolfi's fault that you're your heart is made of ice. <laughs> no, you know what? That's some bullshit because fuck you for one for being assuming about how I am. And two, it 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 is the easiest Let's it is heated. it is the laziest fucking thing to do. It's lazy. It's a lazy narrative trope in this sure. movie. But when but and, and and so what I'm supposed to just be like, oh, okay, I think it's lazy, but you know what? It doesn't matter because so, because he did his best. And you know what? Sometimes your best isn't fucking good enough well, for anyone. So here's the thing. Not every character that you write can have like some crazy super original thing. Sometimes, I'm not saying it has to. Sometimes you have to get tropey trope. You just have to in order to set up the story in the way right. that you want and, to do. And I don't have to like it either, David. Well, sometimes you do it too. We all do it as writers. There's times that we, that we, we have to write the tropey characters. But what we're doing, so here, what we're just talking about, you may not care about Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, but I'm saying is that many people who watched the movie did like them. And to begin with, a lot of the audience are going into this because they're Matt Damon <laughs> fans or Emily Blunt fans. They want to see them in this movie. And so they're going to have that right away. And so a director is going to cast roles sometimes with actors that they know are going to bring that level of care to begin with. You are not, you may not succumb to that, but that's okay. But what I'm saying is, is that it's, yes, okay, it didn't work for you. But for me, I did care about the characters. I did like the characters. I did think it was interesting. And by the end, I was rooting for them to get together, you know? And to overcome this. And by setting up that kind of Sophie's choice where you have a situation where, um, where Matt Damon's character, David Norris, he, he, he realizes there's a scene where the adjustment team breaks, um, Emily Blunt's, uh, Lisa's ankles, right? Well, sprain. Sprain her ankles and send, and really sends a message to him, hey, she's never going to be able to be the dancer she wants to be. If and you are together. If you're together. And so it's selfish of you to want to be with her. And he makes that sacrifice because it is a sacrifice to walk away from Emily Blunt, right? And it is a sacrifice, but he makes it, okay? But that creates a situation where 
you have a fantastical story setting up a situation where in a very high fantasy way, you have the, the question, a character having to confront and face what a lot of couples have to face. I will have to make sacrifices to be with this person, to marry this person. Every marriage, every relationship has a certain degree of sacrificing for the other, both ways. And so what I think is good about this movie is in a narrative way, they came up with an interesting, fantastical way to explore a very deep issue that every couple can relate to at some point. That's what I like about that. And I, wow. I, I think it's good. So you were on your phone, so that's one of the reasons why I got to talk for a long time. Yeah, I, but... I, I, I tuned you out because you started Dave <laughs> explaining to me about how narrative works in a, in a movie. Um, so Trevino explained to me. I don't need to in this instance. I already explained myself. I felt that it was a poor choice to make this a by-the-numbers love story. Is it relatable for a lot of people? Sure. Great. As somebody who reads and writes and watches a lot of stuff, it's not what I want to see. It is not what I'm interested in. What? I like how heated this is, but go ahead. No, keep going. Oh, that's fine. I'm not yeah. saying you're wrong. I'm saying I don't feel the same way about it. <clears throat> yeah. And and look, it, and that's fine. We don't have to... We're <laughs> the ne- love story in Solaris is more interesting to me than the love story in this. You know, but the problem with Solaris... There is no problem with Solaris. It's Are you just talking about the Soderbergh movie? No, I'm talking about the Tarkovsky movie. Oh, okay. my God. <laughs> not just, you guys. No, 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 no. Because I was going to movie no. ever. Fuck off! Uh, Jesus. <laughs> okay, so Solaris, the original, yes, that's the love story. I will grant you that the love story in Solaris is, is better and more interesting. So My problem with the Soderbergh one is that that's all he focused on. Yeah, and, that, on. and I agree with you on that. Yeah. I, we can agree on that. Yeah. Well, for, for example, I guess so what it comes down to is this. It's a totally, it's a total personal preference of mine now that I am more interested in these non-basic love stories or just not always needing a love story. One well, of the biggest issues this I have, is more, I, I am speaking right now. Larry this one is more, this one is more a normal love story in supernatural environment. So it was, you really have to do one or the other, don't you? You have to have either a supernatural love story in a normal environment or vice versa. So, so what's the Trevino version of this is that there's no love story at all and, um, there's a bomb <laughs> somewhere in the city and Matt Damon's the, character. Wait, the ver- my version of this isn't Die Hard 3. <laughs> You dick! <laughs> Die Hard. Sam you know Jackson what? is his partner, and they go around the city through different doors to try and find the bomb. Jeremy Irons heads the Adjustment Bureau. <laughs> is a much better movie for me. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> There's explosions go, everywhere. Go fuck yourself, because I know you know that's not how I how I feel about everything. No, I know. I'm just giving you shit. But um, yeah. Uh, but what would you? I mean, you. I mean, without the love story, like, how how do you tell the story? I would how be that, more better. interested in a story about one of the one of the workers of the Adjustment Bureau trying to unfuck a situation that they royally screwed up, just as much as I enjoyed the, yeah. the story in Annihilation, the book, more than the Annihilation, the film, which is, I gotta find my husband, which I felt was really <laughs> annoying. But we can get into an annihilation discussion off the podcast because we've already spent a lot of time discussing. So is it the? So, so it's not necessarily the human connections that bother you, but just boring human connections. 
Yes. Connections you get. Yes. So one thing. So it's strictly personal. So let's talk about some things that we might have well, done. That's all. That, Larry keeps asking me these questions that I need to unpack, but let's move on. Okay. Because Daddy has an appointment soon. Um, <laughs> I like. <laughs> what if they were forced to be in love? What if? They, what if you turn it around and they, that that the adjustment team was trying to put them together? That's more of a rom com, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right, and but in a kind of sinister way, like I don't want to be with this person or whatever. That would be interesting, but I do like your idea of like you know somebody on the adjustment team really screwing something up. Kind of like um, I don't know if you've seen that Japanese movie where the cop loses his gun and he spends the whole movie trying to find his gun. Mm. You know, it would be interesting if like no, but I do remember that from Magnolia. Yeah. Um, well, I think that was playing on that, but. Um, so if the the movie had been focused on a member of the adjustment team makes an adjustment and screws everything up and is basically trying to hide the fact from the chairman that they screwed it up and then everyone's and then he has to kind of race around to and maybe work with the person. That right, would because be, because as he tries to fix what he's doing, I'm assuming he's going to make more mistakes that are going to alter other things that he's going to then create yeah. new problems for him to have to cover up and eventually it'll bubble to the surface. That version directed by Alex Proyas. Or Christopher Nolan or uh, David Lynch would be kind of interesting. Yeah. I we I like that version. Well, in this one, they didn't do anything. They had a, a little gizmo on um, what's-his-face, Michael Kelly's head for half a second, and that's all the Adjustment Bureau did the whole time. Yeah. That and go through doors. Yeah. Yeah, so they could have done more. There was a huge... You know, science fiction, fantasy, call it what you will, but that element was missing from this movie. Yeah. I would like to see the other version that we just talked about. Like, I think that probably, I, I'll admit right now that that version might be a little better. More exciting. Yeah. And if the adjust, part of the adjustment that he screws up is that he was supposed to put a couple together and they aren't interested. And like he has to figure out some way. Well, but see, that just gets into rom com territory. So maybe right not. then it's when Harry met Sally. Yeah, I got to put them together. It might be a little bit too cheesy. So all right, so we have one section left um, of what we're going to talk about. I mean, do we feel like is there anything more you want to say, Larry? We've done a lot of arguing over here. Um, <laughs> no, I'm good. Um, maybe everybody at the at the start of the podcast, we should probably have say at this mark. Turn the volume down. Hot takes. Anthony and David start screaming at each other. It's all hot takes. Hot takes. Um, I, I, the longer this podcast goes on, the more I realize we've all become comfortable just not agreeing with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm we'll good just, with that. We'll I don't agree fine. with anyone. Yeah, we know, you fucking bitch. <laughs> well, look. Oh, I, sorry. I'm, I'm going to do it like David. Yeah, we know, you fucking. All right. That, all right. <laughs> all right. Um so, well, I think that's good that we disagree. And I th actually knew this was going to happen because just the way we always have talked about movies, we kind of always disagree a lot. So, it's true. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why we like going to movies. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's uh, keep it going. Okay, Dad, Jesus. Um, <laughs> so the last thing, the last prompt I have is, uh, would Philip K. Dick have liked this movie? No. He, yeah, a lot of people have said that. Um, no, I don't. Yeah. No. I don't... Well, here's the thing. I mean, he was... His ghost was in that test audience. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, 
Here's the thing is it was a pretty shitty story, so he might have looked at this as like, well, wow, they got kind of more of a movie out of it. And I think he probably would have been happy that it grossed more than they cost on it and it had somewhat of an audience, well, that's, I guess. I, I mean, practical uh, for practical reasons, maybe. Yeah. But practic- artistic reasons, no, he's not going to. He's not going to like it. Is he? It does thematically fit with the the short story, but the problem is that it doesn't it doesn't have the the element of alternate reality. It's that not he ne- was sort of going for in the short story. It's not nearly as weird as I wanted it to be. Yeah, well, it yeah, lacks I'll weirdness in general. Yeah, other than the doors opening and tipping over coffee coffee cups, and you know, running what, into people. Yeah, what what does it really do? Magic hats? What the fuck was that about? I, I kind of want to write a short story of uh, the version <laughs> that we were talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe if there's someone out there planning on doing a PKD and thought like tribute, tribute anthology, anthology. Anthony up. Anthony and David can throw down some some PKD. Some PKD. Yeah, it'll be in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> So how many magic hats out of five, uh, Anthony, do you give the Adjustment Bureau? I'm going to give it two magic hats out of five because I did like it a little bit more than the short story. I like Matt Damon. I like Emily Blunt. And while I don't really buy their love story, I do think they're both very good, charismatic actors who I've enjoyed in tons of other stuff um, because I'm one of the only people out there who kind of does. Look, I liked Elysium, okay? I like that's it. fine. I, I like I like that movie um, somewhat. I didn't think and it was Emily great, Blunt but... is fucking fantastic in Sicario, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, but I've heard she's great in Quiet Place. I haven't seen it. Yeah, but... she's also great in that. Um, but for me, this movie was kind of a it's it's a it's a boilerplate thriller with a nuanced, unique idea that they never do enough with. Yeah, and. Some of the cinematography is kind of sleek and, and interesting. David brought up the kind of the scene where they first bring him in and sit him down in the chair. And I, I do think that that's a good scene. But yeah. ultimately, I don't know, the movie loses steam for me because I never got invested and I never felt the tension that I needed to to, to care. Well, that's also, uh, you Matt know, Damon among its problems, the pacing is terrible. Yeah. yeah, Matt Damon did a lot of running in this movie. It was very Tom Cruise-esque. Yeah, but and, it wasn't Tom Cruise. Yeah. And but, it had that sweet... <laughs> what a dumb score. Yeah. Dumb music choice. I definitely did not like the score of this movie. Larry? Well, now, that's not the score. That's the soundtrack. So Fair. That's not. Fair. Fair enough. Uh, Larry, how many magic hats? I'm going to give it three because I liked the idea of choosing... Having the choice of choosing love over choosing being president or the most famous ballerina in the world or a famous dancer in the world. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, that was a really hard choice. And I, I haven't seen that in a movie before. Yeah. Where it's so clear cut. Like you yeah. are making this choice that it's, this is bad. the choice. Yeah. And yeah. It was, you know, maybe if they had shown us more of that struggle for them. Right. I would have given that aspect of this movie a little more cred. Well, it, it, they did show, I mean... It's the, very close. This movie is very close to being something good. Right, it, but it never, but it it never, never gets takes there. that leap. Yeah, it never gets there. Yeah, I would... And I'm going to give it... And Larry, I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to give it three magic hats out of five. Um, and I I'm think... I'm the minority report. <laughs> but only barely, only really. Barely. On you one. Only barely. Only one magic hat difference. But um, there's a really 
good movie here. There is not a great movie. Uh, and I can agree with that. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, 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 that's the thing is that there's a lot of little things that are good and there <laughs> are, and some things that are kind of really cool, like the, the door scenes and the chase and all that. It's really good. And that the, like what Larry said, that the kind of choice, the decision that they make is, is really cool. And yeah, that's put on screen. And I do think that they do show that because the whole scene where, he walks away and leaves her in the hospital and she straight up says to him, you left me in a hospital, <laughs> you know? Well, she had a sprained ankle. Yeah, Jesus. but she was, <laughs> but she's a ballerina. That's a big Melodrama deal. bullshit. Well, I mean, I'm going to back up David here. That is a big deal when you're a ballerina. Yeah. Not really? Sprained Oh your... my God. Okay, Larry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I worked in dance for 20 years. Did you? Yes. All right. <laughs> It's hard for me to picture right now. I wasn't a dancer. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, How many yeah. dancers have you dated? Yeah, that's what I thought. I wasn't trying. Well, maybe we should talk about how you defining dancer. <laughs> Professional. Okay. Anyways, um, modern jazz. <laughs> this is getting weird. Um, so yeah, it's weird because you don't know anything about dance. <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, oh, man, I think there's something about the fact that the the longer we we stay on an episode, the longer we do an episode, the warmer it gets in here, which I think turns us all really cranky. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I you know overall, yeah, it's just a good, not great movie, and I think yeah, it's very I, average. And it's interesting because I like once we more than any, we always talk about the movie we would like to see or the version we would like to see or how we would do it, and this is the. In the different alternate version that I'm most interested in. Like when I, when we were talking about that, I was like, holy shit, that would make a really good story, uh, that way. And, um, you know, so it's kind of a missed opportunity, but, uh, then again, I really enjoyed it in the theater, but yeah, the music annoyed me that time. And yeah, overall. So I guess our kind of consensus is that it's a okay, but not great movie. So. Just okay. All right. So coming up next on the podcast, we have a little book called Eye in the Sky. Eye in the Sky by Philip K. Dick. While sightseeing at the Belmont Bevatron, Jack Hamilton, along with seven others, is caught in a lab accident. When he regains consciousness, he is in a fantasy world of Old Testament morality gone awry, a place of instant plagues, immediate damnations, and death to all perceived infidels. Hamilton figures out he and his compatriots can escape this world and return to their own, but first, they must pass through three other vividly fantastical worlds, each more perilous and hilarious than the one before. Winner of the, both the Hugo and John W. Campbell Awards for Best Novel, widely regarded as the premier science fiction writer of his day and the object of cult-like adoration from his legions of fans, wow. Philip K. Dick has come to be seen in a literary light that defies classification in much the same way as Borges and Calvino. With breathtaking insight, he utilizes vividly unfamiliar worlds to evoke the hauntingly and hilariously familiar in our society and ourselves. Eye in the sky. Next time. Won the Hugo. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so we might... Uh, before that, we might have some interviews, so keep your eyes peeled. Uh, please, again, uh, feedback is great. We have gotten very little, so we want to hear from you. Maybe we should ask for feedback at the beginning. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe maybe people don't listen all the way. 
I don't know. I want to know what people want more from this podcast. I, I, I definitely am open to doing things differently or trying new stuff, mm-hmm. and I don't want people to feel like, I don't know. I just get the impression that most people don't give a shit, and that's also fine. Uh, but but if you don't give a shit, tell us why you don't. Yeah, we're... Is it because David sounds like an NPR host? Is it because <laughs> Is it because I rant too much? Is it because Larry is too cool for school? I am. Interesting. Sweaty balls. Wow. Um, <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's cap this off. <laughs> All right. All right, so, uh, yeah, dickheads, uh, keep it paranoid. We'll see Stay you next paranoid. time. Keep it paranoid. Bye. <laughs>